All right, y'all, part two coming up in just one second here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Friday, July 1st, 2022 edition. If you missed part one with Chris Brockman of The Rich Eisen Show, guess what? It's right here, all in one place here on the Blue Wire Pod Network and on your preferred podcast player. Yeah, if you're subscribed, you'll get alerts to all of our different episodes that come up each and every day. Uh, If it's a two-parter like today, guess what? 3 a.m., 6 a.m. East Coast time, new episodes in your podcast feed right there, that easy. Uh, for your listening pleasure whenever that may be today so i appreciate you making the chase Thomas podcast part of your daily listen um it means a lot and hey we got uh, part two coming up in just one second because we got chris coleman who covers virginia tech um to talk about yeah you guessed it <laughs> you you wouldn't believe it virginia tech Hokies of uh, tech sidelines so uh really really fun getting to talk with chris especially on um this particular day because uh more more craziness in college football uh and realignment and how that affects virginia tech so that's how every fan base wants to know like what's what's going to happen here in knoxville like folks are wondering what's going to happen with um with just uh, realignment in the sec and what that's going to look like and future schedules so we thought we just had a handle on the future conference uh scheduling for uh the foreseeable future with divisions going away and it's just it's a mess man it is a mess so we talked about all of that virginia tech where they'll wind up and why they're actually in a unique spot um going forward brent pry why that hire is a good culture fit uh where things went wrong and went awry with justin fuente um why hendon hooker has uh thrived in uh tennessee um we also talk about just uh, all kinds of good stuff um, with Virginia Tech, what the expectations should be for year one uh, in Hokie land and why Tennessee and Virginia Tech should be a rivalry that's played a lot more. So we covered a lot of ground uh, with Chris, so I appreciate him making the time to come on part two here on a Friday. A lot of fun. Um, but yeah, check us out YouTube, watch this episode and everything else and check out all of our other video content over on the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas podcast. You can also tweet at me, Chase double underscore Thomas, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Check out the homepage, Chase Thomas podcast.com. And then of course you can email this program, mailbag stuff, questions for me, Chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. All right. Part two, as we wrap up on a Friday, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast, taping this late on a Thursday. First timer, Chris Coleman is here. Chris, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Appreciate you having me on. How are you? Not too bad. I'm kind of overwhelmed. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's been a pretty crazy day in the college football news cycle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, like you, as a Virginia Tech guy and um, as someone very plugged in and understanding like where uh, a lot of folks are in Blacksburg about everything, like, is there a lot of panic today in Blacksburg about the future of the ACC and where Virginia Tech's going to fall and all of that? Like, what is the current state of affairs today? Oh, I wouldn't say it's panic because people mm. have been thinking about this for a while. I mean, mm. conference expansion, realignment has been going on for such a long time and Virginia Tech has always been kind of, uh, they've wandered the conference wilderness throughout their history. They were an independent Mm. in the 80s, got into the Big East for football in the early 90s, but but they were still in the Metro Conference, which doesn't even (laughs) exist anymore for all sports. And then they moved to the Atlantic 10 for all sports because the Big East wouldn't let them in for any sport except for football. Mm. Then Then the Big East finally let them in. 
for all, all other sports. And then four years later, they were all in the ACC. So it, it's they've never really had a home as far mm. as conference, conference membership for more than I mean, th- this is Virginia Tech's tenure in the ACC. So, you know, almost 20 years now, that's been the longest they've ever been in one league before. Um, so we're kind of used to this to a certain extent, at least I am. Well, what do you think they do? I know it's really early in the process, but if we go to two major super leagues and we're looking at a uh, kind of like an AFC, NFC type deal with the Big Ten and the SEC, like, do you see them more as a Big Ten team? Do you see there being a possibility with the money and the revenue that they are not poached by one of the two bigger ones and that they're kind of left out? Like, where do you think they'll fall in that group? You know, it kind of depends on how, I guess, these conferences that they're, and to a certain extent, you want to add different states mm. to your map, right? And yeah. neither the Big Ten or the SEC has the state of Virginia and, mm. or the state of North Carolina, for that matter. So I've always thought that, like, if it came down to this, the Big Ten would maybe invite UVA and North Carolina and the SEC would invite Virginia Tech and NC State. Hmm. Um, That's kind of what I've always thought. Um, Virginia Tech and NC State are more SEC-like as far as their fan bases and uh, how they treat football and and, and Mm. things like that. Um, You know, North Carolina's basketball first. Uh, Virginia gets about 30,000 people at their football games, which is certainly not SEC-like. So, but, but, you know, both of those – or big time academic schools, which kind of mm. fit that Big Ten mold. Um, so I've always thought they would be more traditional fits for the Big Ten, whereas Virginia Tech and NC State would be more traditional fits for the SEC. We'll just have to see how that goes. You know, Clemson's the interesting one because, uh, you know, they're, they're they're you know a big time football school, but you know the SEC has already got they're already in the SEC footprint. You know, mm. uh, and. It's one of those things like how many awesome teams do you really want to add to one league before it start you you just end up beating up on each other to a certain extent. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see where it where where, where it all ends up. I, I, you you don't like these backroom meetings and yeah. you know we saw it last July. I remember when it happened with you know Oklahoma and Texas mm. uh, going to the SEC. I was down at ACC media days in mm. charlotte so it, it happened during during that moment um and, and it came out of the blue and this what happened today came out of the blue uh i would love to see some sort of major conference between all conferences just sit around for a week at a big resort hotel and just hash things out and try to come up with some solution that's kind of best for everybody but i kind of doubt that's going to happen so just got to sit back and wait and see yeah, it seems like Sankey is on his own and doing his own thing. And you had the alliance, which lasted uh, about a year. And that was the whole thing when it was a handshake deal. It's just great. Like, unless you got the, that was the, everyone's point at the beginning of like, this is cool. Like we, I think most college football fans are on board with that. Like, hey, yeah, let's slow down and stop the constant mm-hmm. churn and take and just change. And they didn't get any of it in writing. Like, well, just, yeah. And it's, it's easy to say that when, yeah. until you yourself get offered more money. Correct. And a definite seat at the table. So it was all about loyalty and trust. And, and I think in multi-million dollar organizations, yeah, you kind of throw that out the window. So it, I, th- I think it was cut, the whole concept, you know, on paper was good, but it was kind mm. of flawed from the very beginning because there was never an official signed tie 
Yeah. Uh, you, you know, they would all, they would come out with statements every now and then that we would get as part of the media in mm. the ACC, but you'd skim over them and you're like, yeah, this says absolutely nothing. It's just like you're sending out this email once a month to just remind us that you do exist, but mm. you're not actually doing anything. That's interesting. Do you think there's a possibility that the ACC and Jim Phillips is able to withstand this? And just he's like, hey, Notre Dame, now, like how much money? Like, I don't care. Right. I will mortgage my house. I don't know what it's going to take, but you're joining this conference and we're keeping this thing moving. Well, you know, I think that would maybe be a risky move for Notre Dame. Notre Dame values yeah. their independence. I mean, they have their own TV network and mm -hmm. their own TV contract. They know exactly what time they're playing every single home game because they mm -hmm. get to decide. You know, so I don't think it's necessarily about the money for Notre Dame. I just think it's they like to run their own show. They don't want to, you know. Well, yeah, the ACC has no leverage, else. but it's just right. like what we said, where it's just how much money could the ACC keep backing up? It's the Mel Tucker to Michigan I, State thing, you know, where they keep saying no, and then no, and then no. It's like, all right, I guess uh, I'll do it. I think I think the ACC's made some mistakes through the years. I think John mm. Swafford hung on to his job for entirely too long. Mm. But but at the same time, the, the ACC's biggest problem is there's too many small private schools in the ACC. So mm. you've got Wake Forest and Duke. Very, yeah. very small fan base. It's like 3,000 people go to Wake mm. Forest. You know, uh, Boston College is a private school. Pitt, you know, they're, they're kind of I don't, they're kind of quasi-private, quasi-public, but mm. it's it's not a big, passionate fan base that that goes packs their stadium and things like that. And mm. and, and you know, even Miami is it's 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 a private school, and they have a lot of loud fans, but they don't actually go to games and things like that. It's it's a mm. very strange fan base. Georgia Tech is, uh, you know, they're just not too into football these days. Mm. So I mean, there's only really like four big state schools in the ACC. And obviously that's Clemson, Florida State, NC State, and, and Virginia Tech mm -hmm. as far as that I would describe as SEC-like in terms of passionate fan bases yeah. and things like that. So I, I just, there, there's just not as much interest in the ACC football from its own member schools because you've got so many Dukes and mm -hmm. Wake Forests and Syracuses and Boston Colleges. There's just you know the Big Ten and the SEC, particularly the Big Ten, it's kind of death by numbers. They've got mm. they got the biggest you know living alumni bases of of any schools in the country. So the, the ACC has always been flawed to a certain extent because of their original conference membership, and they kind of doubled down on that by adding schools like like Boston College and Syracuse. When when maybe the right moves would have been to add schools, you know, just more people, bigger mm. fan bases, maybe a UCF or something or something like that. But uh, I, I think it, the ACC has always been doomed to a certain extent. Now, one thing that, that they've signed a media rights deal with ESPN through, oh, gosh, I don't know, 2036 or yeah. 2030 something. And so whoever left the ACC would owe a substantial amount of money. But, you know, you got to figure if there's any backroom talking going on, those schools are doing the math and saying, okay, at what point does it become financially, financially viable where yeah. we can leave and take this short-term bump, but we yeah. know that long-term we're going to be more secure. So that's a question I can't answer, but uh, you've got to think the conversations have been had. I mean, that's what uh, Jack Swarbrick, uh, Notre Dame AD, was hinting at, right? Of just like mid-2030s is when all the everything's up every every yeah. television right thing is up and then that's when 
everything really, really just blows up by that point. You're right. And think about it. If you're the SEC, I mean, both those conferences already have ESPN deals Mm. and, and and they're obviously the two mega conferences. Mm. So if you're ESPN, you've got the ACC rights deal. Like would it, would it be better for ESPN to just go ahead and say, you know what, you guys go ahead and go to the SEC because now Mm. our SEC deal is worth way more money and, you know, we're not making that much off the ACC anyway, and we're already shoving you all to ESPNU and yeah, and the ACC network anyway. So it'll be interesting to see how the the, the dominoes align. Uh, obviously, you know, everything keeps getting smaller. You know, there are mm. five conferences, and it, you know, you're right. It does seem like it's trending towards two super conferences. So what happens then? Do the SEC and the Big Ten, do they actually need the NCAA at that point? No, I don't even know what the NCAA will look like at that point. Like, even if it exists, like there's a chance it just like has no power or anything. I mean, look at college basketball. I mean, that's an independent opera. Like that is, that's like one of the last things that I think is so interesting too, is just that like everything's football, football, football. But I just think about like the softball team at UCLA. Like Uh what is their schedule going to be like? Oh my gosh. Can you imagine these midweek? I mean, I think that, I think that's ridiculous. Like, I, I get the whole money aspect of mm. it, but you put a softball player or a volleyball player or mm. a mid soccer player or whatever on a plane on a Tuesday mm. and tell them to fly from Piscataway, New Jersey and play a game on Tuesday night against UCLA and then fly back. I mean, this is, I, I get the football and men's basketball are worth a lot of money, but none of these other sports turn a profit. Right. So why are they subjected to, to this kind of treatment? Like, like to me, I feel like the the smaller sports, like they should be more localized. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna put it from a Virginia Tech perspective. Like, like Virginia Tech, sh- there's no reason for like Boston College and Virginia Tech to play soccer against each other when Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Virginia, NC State, Virginia Commonwealth, East Carolina, it doesn't matter what big conference you're in, they should all be at like their own soccer conference to cut down mm-hmm. on travel costs. And cause you know, it just doesn't make a, a, a lot of sense uh, to me. I mean, you, you would have to, it would have to be worth a lot of money. And the thing is those sports are not worth a lot of money. And in fact, they don't turn a, a profit to be honest with you. So I don't know. I think the whole system has needed uh, reorganization for a long, long time. And, you know, I thought COVID would burst the bubble to a certain extent. Uh, mm. as far as expenses and things like that. But it ter- as it turns out, everybody got bailed out by their own university, their own state. Yeah. Or, it's like the airlines or something, right? You know, mm. you, just, you make mistakes, and uh, but then somebody comes in to bail you out, so you never learn from your mistakes. So uh, I, I don't know where it's going, man. I, I, I think it's, 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 it's difficult times. I just want to know. Yeah. Right? Like, I, at this point, I don't care whether Tech is in the top division of college football or if there's some second division that, you know, everybody who's not in the Big Ten or SEC is competing for, I don't really care anymore. I just want to know, to get some clarity on the situation, yeah. you know, and just so everybody can move forward. So we're not in this holding pattern because this whole thing's been developing for, I would say, 40 years. You know, there was a Supreme Court case in the early 80s. Uh, back then, the NCAA set everybody's TV games for them. And hmm. I, for, I forget which school it was that, that sued and it went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said schools are allowed to set their own TV games and their own TV contracts over what the NCAA says. So that's hmm. what set this whole thing off is when the schools and the conferences were no longer dependent on the NCAA 
to control television rights and everything yeah. like that. So it's been 40 years in the making and here we are. Yeah, I would love the clarity, but the problem is there's just no governing body. Like there's just no one who's going to keep all these people on the same page and they're going to keep making backroom deals. They're going to keep doing <laughs> things that it's just, can, there's, you can't legislate that out now. Can you imagine if like the Buffalo Bills were like, you know what, we don't want to be in the NFC yeah. East anymore. I think we're a better fit for the NFC North mm -hmm. and the NFC North's like, okay, well, we'll trade, we'll trade the Bears yeah. for the Bills or something like nobody's in control right it, it's but that's the way the ncaa is and uh i also it, think too when you think about and this is something that i i think when i talk to friends and stuff like me like i'm i guess national media and stuff like that but like i think there is a huge disconnect i i think the biggest disconnect among uh sports media is college football national media and college football fans so if you go through any other fan base versus the media that covers it there is not one more disconnect than college football where it is, it's not their fault. I don't think it's their fault because they're not, and I'm not going to like name names, but it's just like, like you read it and you're like, oh, this person hasn't talked to a college football fan in person in yeah. seven years. Like this right. is, it, I, I guess it, you've noticed the same thing. And even the decision makers. And yes. I, I know it's all chasing money, but uh, because people still watch. So ultimately this is the, there should be a role. Like I've put this out there where it's like, you put a Virginia tech season ticket holder and every Virginia tech, uh, 80 and presidential move where it's like have a couple in there where it's like hey does this sound weird is there's this some like... kind of board or something like yes that? Yeah, yeah yeah and uh I, I just i don't like the idea of big super conferences anyway because it's yeah. destroyed a number of rivalries you know like like virginia tech used to play west virginia every year yeah and and they played them last year and they'll play them again this year but I mean, that'll be this year will be just the third time since 2005 since the school. Well, that's the whole thing is like there's a disconnect with the college football playoff people. That, it's like right. that college football is not that it's built on the rivalries and Saturdays. Right. Right. It's not a built about the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I, it's a shame because like, you know, the Tech Miami series has been mm. played every year since 1991. And that was a bitter rivalry, especially back in the day. The game always mm. had national relevance. Not so much anymore, but it's still a game both fan bases look forward to every mm. year. But when the ACC announced a new scheduling format this year, which I think is better on balance, but it's still, it's taken away the Virginia Tech-Miami rivalry of play. Every which is while. weird. When you looked at that, I was like, I don't understand why, like Virginia and Georgia Tech aren't like permanent rivals where I'm like, that was one where it's like, if you just pull a couple of UVA and GT folks, they're like, yeah, that should be one of our, but it's clear they didn't do that. It's just one of those where it's like, who makes the most sense for you? And it, like you said, where it's like, if you ask a Virginia Tech fan, who are one of the three that you have, you want permanently? Miami yeah. would be one. Yeah, you. Would, I mean, for me personally, yeah. I mean, it would be Virginia, Miami, and, and UNC. Yeah. So those would be my three. And UNC is another one. Tech has mm. developed a great coastal division rivalry with them. Tech and UNC. Like Virginia Tech raids North Carolina for recruits. North Carolina raids Virginia for recruits. Uh, and so many of those players on each team know each other. Mm. And now they're not going to be playing every year like they were in the past. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm happy to see. I mean, Virginia Tech has only played uh, Florida State, Clemson, Louisville, and NC State five times since 2014. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. I mean, Tech hasn't played at NC State since 2010. Mm. Uh, and so I'm happy to get those teams on the schedule more now. It's going to be eight meetings over that four-year stretch. Mm. But, you know, it's just the sign. Like, with these big super conferences, the schedule is always going to be balanced. You're always going to be unhappy about something. But the thing is, like, people complain about it, but we keep watching it, mm. right? So as long as we keep watching it, 
and we keep watching it on television, we keep buying tickets and the money keeps rolling in, there's no incentive for this people. For, well, I mean, for attendance is actually, going down year over year. You're, and right, we look but, at that, you're, you're right, but it's made up for by more and more television money true. every year. So the money number overall is going up. So like, mm. so I mean, honestly, the, the only way if, for fans to, to get it the way fans truly want it, if, if that's how they truly want it, is to stop watching and yeah. vote with their wallets. But that's not happening. We all like it too much. So as, as long as we continue, well, I also to think people have been product, like desensitized to it, right? Like yeah. all the change and everything, you're just desensitized. You're well, just oh, like, yeah. When it happened today, I was basically like, whatever. Yep. Just, just, just tell me where we're going to be in five years so I can quit worrying about mm-hmm. it. You know, don't even care anymore. But just... I think that's the most, that's the common perspective now. Mm-hmm. I, I would um, agree with that. Also why, like one I want is, so I'm here in East Tennessee and Tennessee guy and that sort of thing. But like, I tell folks, Virginia. There's no reason Virginia Tech and Tennessee should not be a, a rivalry, like a big one. Where I see more Virginia Tech stuff here, like I was at Dollywood. I remember uh, for Christmas in December, I saw so many Virginia Tech hoodies, hats, everything else, and then a bunch of Tennessee stuff. Where Bristol was obviously the most attended college football game of all time. They all showed out. Bristol, and I mean, you could do that once every five years, but a home and home with Blacksburg and Knoxville, like that's exactly the kind of thing where it's just pull like whoever is in charge, just be like, Hey, I've noticed a lot of Virginia tech folks in East Tennessee. And I've noticed that that's something that could be really fun that a lot of fans would love to go to Blacksburg and have an opportunity to go experience watching Tennessee and Blacksburg. And I'm sure a lot of Blacksburg folks would love to go into Neyland, uh and yeah. see that. Like, you know, you, we've done polls on, uh, on yeah. text online before asking people, you know, who they want to play in a home-at-home mm-hmm. home non-conference game. And, you know, generally your answers are Tennessee, Penn State, mm. South Carolina. You know, I, I mean, I think that the, reg- the regional matchups between the big state schools with big fan base fan bases are the most attractive matchups in college yeah. football. So as far as I'm concerned, the more of those, the better. But again, I go back to my previous point about the ACC. There's not enough schools like that in the ACC, mm. which ultimately is why – the ACC is where it's at right now, and the Big Ten and the SEC are where they're at. Mm. Interesting. Well, in terms of what we actually do know, we do know Brent Pry is the new head football coach at uh, Virginia Tech. Um, do you think to this point, like now that you've had a couple months and seen kind of what spring practice and what he's done in the portal and early recruiting uh, stuff, do you think Brent Pry was was the right guy? He was the right cultural fit, and he's the the right guy for Virginia Tech going forward? Cultural fit's the right way to put it. He is absolutely mm-hmm. the right cultural fit. You know, he was a grad assistant here from 95 through 97, right, as, as the program was just getting started. So he saw mm-hmm. how Frank Beamer did things. Uh, he learned a lot from Bud Foster, you know, the, the defensive who was the defensive coordinator at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being in the program for three years, I, I think it exposed him to how Virginia Tech won games. And, and, you know, Virginia Tech at its peak under Frank Beamer, they never signed top 10 recruiting classes. They were always ranked between 20th, 30th in the country in recruiting. Mm. But but they were very good at evaluations. And, and they had a great strength and conditioning department, great nutrition department. And they they, they, would, they wouldn't waste their times recruiting guys who they knew weren't going to buy in to the culture. Mm. And, you know, whatever the, uh, the occasionally that they did that, it didn't work out for them. Even if the guy turned out to be a highly ranked recruit, it, it didn't necessarily work out for the team. Um, 
but I, I think uh, I think Brent Pride gets that, and I, and I think you know I can see it through some of the guys he's targeting, some more projectable players, in my opinion, and and I think he's done a really good job establishing relationships with the in-state high schools because. Mm. The, the, the easiest way to learn about a player's work ethic and whether he's your type of guy is to get to know his head coach mm. and, and the assistant coaches and his position coaches in high school and things like that. And, and say, hey, listen, does this guy show up to the weight room every week? Because mm. if he doesn't, we're not taking him. You know, there's a there's a top five player in the state of Virginia right now who's committed to UNC. Before mm. that, he was committed to Michigan, but he's committed to UNC now. And I've heard that in the offseason, he hasn't shown up to his high, a single uh workout for his high school team right which mm -hmm. is probably why he ended up decommitting for michigan i expect he got decommitted rather than uh rather than he actually decommitted to go to hmm. unc um uh, but you see that in unc's football program you see them bring in a large number of highly ranked recruits and then they go six and six and mm. they lack toughness and the players don't develop and things like that Everybody is so focused on winning signing day that they forget sometimes what it takes to actually win football games. And, you know, Virginia Tech lacked a lot the last few years, but they still managed almost every year to go out there and beat UNC, a more talented UNC, almost every single year. With The, the one year they didn't was the COVID year when half of Tech's defense was out with COVID. Mm. Um, so I, that's how Virginia Tech has to win. They have to recruit the right people who buy in. And, and, you know, I think red shirting is a big aspect of it, even though a lot of guys don't want to do that these days. I think it's important that you recruit a large number of players who are open to that because, you know, you get that fifth year seniors in there and they're just more developed than everybody else. And uh, so I think Brent Pride gets all that. And from a cultural standpoint, he, you know, looking back on everything we've learned about him so far, he seems like the right guy. Is he going to get or are they going to have 85 scholarship players this fall? Are they going to get to that number? Yeah. Um, okay. I think they're there now from what okay. I understand. They might have like one or two open spots. Um, mm. But, you know, that was tough for everybody in the offseason. Yes. Um, trying to get down to 85. Because, I mean, ultimately, like, you got to cut guys. Mm. Right? And you don't want to do that. Most of the attrition takes care of itself. Like, Virginia Tech's roster management under Justin Fuente was poor. So Tech had hmm. like Tech had like 10 scholarship running backs on the roster going to spring <laughs> practice, right? So nobody wants to be the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth string running back. So you mm. know, those guys kind of left on their own. They didn't need to be pushed out the door. They knew mm. they weren't going to play. But but you know, I'm sure some coaches around the country ran to some difficulty of, yeah, we, we have to get down to the 85 because the NCA made this decision. And then they just left us to deal with the consequences rather mm. than rather than gradually taking it back to, to 85. Maybe you're at 90 this year, then 87 next year, and then 85 the year after that, rather than have, having it be a gradual thing. It was no, all in one year, you have to be back down to 85. Uh, but we're but, leaving the COVID year in. And like that's that right. just it's crazy. Right. Yeah. It just it doesn't seem like much thought was put into that. So. It was, especially know, not thought for high school kids because that's the other yeah. thing is like they those kids got screwed and they're, oh, they're yeah. continuing to get screwed over the yeah. next couple of years until this fizzles out they're in trouble i know a guy he's who's a, who's a former college coach and his mm. uh his grandson was a recruit out of uh you know forget where he forget where he's from but uh he's normally probably like an fcs level recruit mm. but 
because of the NCAA's ruling and the fact that everybody's in the transfer portal, a lot of those FCS schools are going to be like, we're not taking as many high school kids this year because we know there's going to be a, a bunch of FBS players right. entering the portal that we can just go pick up. Mm. So guys like that are dropping to Division two or Division three when normally they would be an FCS player. So mm. it's it's unfortunate the the trickle down effect that we've seen from that ruling. It's rough, man. It is rough. And if you don't play your cards right, it gets ugly in a hurry. Yeah. Yes. It's hard to climb out. Um, where do you think it ultimately went wrong with Fuente, though? Where do you think? Because everything from the outside, like you being plugged in, it's just everything we heard is just like culture. He's not the right culture fit. Where, And it's weird, too, because he was successful right out of the gate. Like right he, out of the gate, he, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's I just weird. He came in and brought a new energy to the program. Mm. Um, Fuente's a good football coach as far as pure football coach. Mm. If you give him 11 robots and you play him <laughs> with 11 robots – you're, he's probably going to beat your 11 robots because he's a better coach. Sounds like Dan Mullen to me. Yes, yeah, something like that. But mm. like the emotional intelligence is, isn't mm. always there. And, you know, he just ultimately couldn't get enough guys to buy in. Um, just too many skinny legs out there. Not enough guys buying into the nutrition, strength and conditioning, things like that. I mean, we had a four-star wide receiver uh, who was a true freshman mm. uh, a few years back. And, uh I, he was dominant the second half of his true freshman season. And I thought, you know, that definite NFL player, but, mm. but he was skinny and he needed to add weight. He was only about 180, 185 pounds. And guess what? When he was at the NFL combine this past spring, he was 175 pounds on a six, one frame. Like he mm. never got bigger when in his four years at Virginia tech. And in fact, he got probably got slower too. Like yeah. Just like if it, as, as a college age athlete, just the mm. moderate amount of of effort and the nutrition, eating what you're supposed to, the right type of foods, getting the right calorie intake, uh, showing up for all your weight room sessions and working really, really hard. You're, you're going to add weight at that age of your life. Yeah. You know? But there, there were too many people like that in the program that kind of stayed the same. They came in and they were good as freshmen. And they, which showed Fuente's evaluation skills were good, mm -hmm. but as seniors or juniors, they were the same players they were as freshmen. And there were too many guys like that across the board. There are some notable exceptions to that, like Christian Derrissaw, Caleb Farley. Those guys were for, were first round picks, but overall, you didn't see the the player development across the board that you saw previously that really defined the Frank Beaver era. And ultimately, that's what Virginia Tech has to be. They have to be a very good player development program. QB week one under center is who? Oh, it'll be Grant Wells, I'm sure. Okay. Um, I, I think uh, I think J Jason Brown's a very good option for backup quarterback, but I, I think uh, Grant Wells is the more physically talented player. Uh, he has more starting experience, albeit not at the FBS level. Brown started four games from mm. South Carolina last year, but you know Wells has started two years for Marshall. Yep. Um, and good he's player. got yeah, he is. He's he's got a very good arm, solid runner. Um, I, I think he's a guy. Plus, there's growth potential there. You mm -hmm. know, he's got two years left or three if he wants to use his COVID year. So yeah, I feel he's like, not an NFL guy. Like he, right, he can stick right. around. Yeah, exa exactly. So uh, you know, I think, I think he's, I think he is the better quarterback right now. But mm -hmm. even if it was a tie, he's the guy you go with because he's got multiple years left. He's the more projectable player. He's going to improve. So, to me, I, I would be very surprised if he wasn't the starter day one, barring injury. Are you surprised at all that Hendon Hooker has turned into what he has turned into with Hypel at UT? Because we didn't know he had like he transferred like his story is wild because mm -hmm. Hendon, 
he comes in like right as Jeremy Pruitt's out. Like he yeah. committed to Pruitt in January. Yeah. And then there's a coaching change. Yes. Like, what in the world is going he on? He just got screwed, but yeah. he's just well, an awesome kid. Him. Yeah. He's a, he's a very talented player. Mm. Um, but Virginia Tech's quarterbacks, generally speaking, again, never developed. Yeah. Um, Josh Jackson played very well for Tech as a redshirt freshman. Then he got hurt as a redshirt sophomore and transferred to Maryland. Mm-hmm. Ryan, Ryan Willis played really well as, as a junior in, in Jackson's uh, as Jackson's replacement. Then he started the next year and wasn't nearly as good and got benched for Hendon Hooker. Mm-hmm. And then Willis ended up on an NFL roster last year. He was on the Bears roster last mm-hmm. year. This is a talented player who was in the NFL, but he regressed at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Hooker – Hooker was kind of the same player his second year as, as a starter as, as he was his first. Um, obviously, the athleticism's there. The arm talent w- w- was always there. Um, it, it's just across the board, Virginia Tech's quarterbacks didn't develop. And, and, you know, you thought you maybe saw a little bit of that early. But once, once 29, 2019 hit and you saw Ryan Willis regress, and then in 2020, Hendon Hooker kind of stayed the same. And, and then in 2021, you see how good Hooker, Hooker played for Tennessee. You're like, okay, we have a quarterback development problem <laughs> at, yeah. at Virginia Tech. So, again, player development, man. I, I, I feel like as bad as Tech's player development has been, the fact that they kept going 500 every year, to me, like, like Fuente is his own worst enemy, and, but yet his also, also his own best friend. Like his actual coaching – compensates for his bad player development but hmm. his his bad player development makes him look like a worse coach actual x's and o's coach than he actually is so uh the, the other the other the other issue was with him is you know he lost a lot of quality assistance and wasn't hmm. what did not replace them effectively and i don't think he was given a, a big enough budget hmm. to replace them effectively pry has a much bigger budget than fuente had to work with as far as assistance goes so that part of it can't be laid at his feet, but uh, you know everybody needed a fresh start. I think he he really he did not grasp the culture, but I hmm. think that there were there were bigger like Buzz Williams wasn't a cultural fit either, but he was still a great basketball coach here who got yeah. Virginia Tech to three straight NCAA tournaments in the Sweet Sixteen, which nobody else had ever done before. You hmm. can win at Virginia Tech without being a cultural fit if you do everything else right. Forte didn't do everything else right. You're kind of in a great pro. I mean. It can't, there's a lot of crossover with Tennessee and Virginia Tech right now. I mean, you're in a really good spot, I think, uh, with Brent Pry, and we obviously both Virginia Tech and Tennessee were uh, extremely dominant college baseball teams this spring, and it seems like it's healthy there. Mike Young has got uh, the basketball program really turned around. Like, I don't know. It seems like it's pretty healthy, all all things considered, across it, it the is. board, right? Yeah, it is. It's a healthy athletic department. I, I think on the whole, um, I don't know what the final Directors' Cup standings will mm. be, but, you know, Baseball made a super regional for the first time. Softball made a super regional second year in a row. You know, the soccer programs in the NCAA tournament. We got national champion winners in, in track and field at the individual level. Got a top 10 wrestling program. Got a perennial NCAA basketball tournament team now. The women's basketball team is in the NCAA tournament every year now. So, yeah, it's developed into a good overall sports program. It's funny how it's worked out, you know, with the peak of Virginia Tech football. They were one quarter away from winning the national championship. They led Florida State at the beginning of the fourth quarter in that national title game in the Sugar Bowl after the 99 season. But that year they finished like 100th in the Director's Cup, right? Yeah. Now they're top 35, top 30 in the Director's Cup, but they're a 500 football team. 
So which, which shows you how difficult, how difficult it can be to get everything right at the same time. It's really hard to do. Absolutely. Um, when you look at the schedule, what does it look like for Brent Pry in year one? How many wins does it feel like for you? Man, I think Virginia Tech is one of those football teams that depending on turnovers, mm. key injuries, random events during the game, like do you win this replay? Do you lose this replay? Does the ball bounce this way funny on a fumble? I think Virginia Tech's going to win anywhere between four and eight games. And I think you can say that for most teams. And I know that's a very generic answer, but I do think with the talent stacked at the top in college football like it is these days, mm. there's not parity on the whole, as in only three or four teams can win a national championship. But right. the parity in the middle, I think, is better yeah. than, than it ever was. So I think there's a whole lot of teams that are kind of in the same boat that, you know, d- depending on injuries and turnovers and little things here and there, mm-hmm. it, it's a fine line between what people will consider a very successful season and a very bad season. Um, I, I think Virginia Tech has a chance to get off to a good start. They play ODU on the road to, uh, to start. Why is that a road game? Uh, you know, Virginia Tech's got a series with ODU. Uh, They're Virginia just like, Ricky Ronnie, whatever you need, man. Well, well, the, actually, the series was signed before he got there. Okay. Um, yeah, Tech lost at ODU in 2018. That was quite a scandal. That's what I was saying. Yeah. I, I remember that. I was like, I didn't want to say that 100% because like, I knew that game was close, but I couldn't remember uh, 100% they lost that one. Yeah, uh, uh, Yeah, a lot of Tech fans hate that series. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the thing is, it's easier to schedule that game. And you recruit out there, so you can yeah. tell guys that you're recruiting, hey, you get to play in right here in front of your families, uh, you, you know, a, a couple times during your career. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's a, and I do think, I think it's a two for one type series where two games at Tech, one game at ODU. I, th- I think that, I think that's how it hmm. works out. Um, and they're in the Sun Belt now, right? <laughs> are they? I think they I moved up. Liberty moved to the Sun Belt, I think. Um, J- 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 JMU is going to move to the Sun Belt. Um, uh, so, like, I don't. It's 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 kind of strange. Like, tech. Yeah, fans they're in the Sun Belt now. Okay, okay. So, tech fans don't like that yeah. series. I'm of the opinion that if you do what you're supposed to do and go in there mm. and beat them, you'll like the series a lot more. So it's like, whatever you whatever you lose, people always get a bad feeling about things. Like, tech fans complain about the music in the stadium, the Wi-Fi access. <laughs> Uh, the beverages sold in Lane Stadium, things like that. So I was yeah. talking. I was talking to the guy who reads all those emails, yeah. from fans, and he said, "Whenever we win a home game, I never get any of those emails. But whenever huh. we lose a home game, the next day I get a hundred of them." People complain about things like that when you lose; they don't complain when you win. So, which is why yeah. win- winning is the ultimate fan experience, you know. Uh, so, all, all you know, there's always going to people be people against the ODU series. I personally don't care either way. Because I understand that it's hard to schedule non-conference these days. I mean, especially with SEC teams, as the SEC has expanded, and there's so many good teams in that conference. So if you're talking about a Tennessee series, I mean, mm. why would Tennessee want to take a risk for a potential extra non-conference loss? Because it's better for the fans. Like that's I, the whole thing. Yeah, it's like I, I want. Right. That's the whole thing. It's like for fans because right. we want right. less I, Akron. Like we right. don't want that. I agree, but yeah. then the fans will complain to you and then tell you to fire the coach if you do happen to yeah and it's like okay game. what nfl right. team is like doing all right week three we got the usfl commanders yeah, yeah, like it, right, right. no I, you uh, you play uh, what's in front of you high school uh, football even you don't do that no no i, I agree um it's uh, non-conference scheduling has just always been strange you know obviously you're you have yeah. no control over your conference schedule um 
so t- to me, I, I kind of wish I wish there was a rule saying FBS teams didn't play FCS teams. Yeah. So that opens up a spot for a lot of teams every year. I mean, we're inching like when the Super Bowl conferences and all this stuff comes, like the, it's going to basically just oh, be you conference talk, you only. You talk about the ACC or or even Virginia Tech or somebody like that or West Virginia or whoever mm. getting left out. Those MAC schools, they're gone. And, they're off I the mean, calendar. Right. I mean, they already play on Wednesday nights anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And I actually feel bad for their fans because their fans have forgotten what being a real college football fan is like because they got to play their games on a lot of their games on weeknights. I don't know, man. Weekends. That works though. Maction is, and if you're a small, a, like, I think it's a double, like, I actually think it would be awesome because if you're like an Ohio student right. and you are, grew up a Buckeye fan, you still have your Saturdays and you can enjoy like the yeah. midweek kind of like appetizer and then get to what you actually want on the weekend. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. But um, yeah, there you go. I don't know. I think the schedule will, we'll know what Virginia Tech's first year for Bry. Like, I think the sure. best thing for what you want in a year one coach is you want to end kind of like on the Shane Beamer type thing where like, even if you have some really not to mention a certain Tennessee game where uh, they stepped on their neck uh, in the first quarter and down 28, nothing early. Yeah. Um, but you want to finish strong, like to keep the yeah. fan base, like, okay, we got momentum Check going into year two. Right. Give something people to be happy about, you know, tech, after Tech has the- Georgia Tech, Duke, uh, Liberty, and UVA at home to close. Like that's right, exactly right. what you want. It's exactly right. And you know, they can they have the potential to have a they could start three and one or, or, or one and three or something yeah. like that. I mean, ODU, I'm pretty sure Tech will win that, but it's possible they could lose mm. it, be it on the road. That'll be biggest ODU's biggest game of the year. Then you've got Boston College at home in a night game. The first mm. home game of Brent Prize era will be at night, Lane Stadium inner Sandman. That's gonna be mm. awesome. Uh but Boston College is a good football team with star power, quarterback and wide receiver. So mm. that's a losable game and a winnable game. The next week you've got Wofford, you'll win that one. Week four, Thursday night, West Virginia, mm. right? And that's one the fan base is really going to be fired up for. But it's also a losable game. It's a winnable game and it's a losable game. So you could be really, really happy as a Virginia Tech fan after the month of September, but you could also be really ticked off and say, uh-oh, we're in a lot of trouble here. It's going to be a long season. I, you know, a couple of those games are basically toss-ups as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Um, we'll end here. Chris, how do the good folks keep up with your work and everything you got going on up there in Hokie Country? You can find us at techsideline.com. We're awfully uh, busy right now because mm-hmm. there's – Gosh, we had a recruit a commitment announcement yesterday, another one today. Actually, there was one on Tuesday as well. There's two coming tomorrow, two on Saturday, and one on July 4th. So th- there's a lot of action right. Normally, this is kind of the downtime of year, late June, but uh, not in terms of recruiting. They're rolling in right now. There you go. There you go. Man, this has been a lot of fun. I greatly appreciate you making the time, Chris. We'll have to check back in again soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. All right, y'all, that'll do it for part two here on a Friday here on the Chase Thomas Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Thank you again to Chris. And uh, I just realized double Chris is today. That was not planned. That's just how it unfolded today here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. So appreciate you making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen and a part of your Friday listen. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Don't forget, uh, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if that is indeed how you have listened and you have not already done so. Check us out on YouTube, like and subscribe, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Then, of course, email this very program at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Check out the homepage, Chase Thomas Podcast.com. Read me, sports renaissance man dot substack.com. All kinds of ways to follow my work, both in the audio and written format. 
keep up with uh, all the great folks over here at the Blue Wire Pod Network. Um, we have just all kinds of great content every single day here on Blue Wire. Uh, so check that out. Inside Chris Van Fleet, we got Spencer's with Haley O'Shaughnessy and Jordan Liggins. We got the Long Shot with uh, Miami Heat guard Duncan Robinson. Just all kinds of great shows all across our network. So check that out today if you've not already done so. Uh, all right, Uncle Derek, how to do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.